Frequency Cast. Startup in progress. Hi, and welcome to Frequency Cast, the UK's digital TV and technology show. At Frequency Cast, it's our mission to keep you up to date with today's tech, answer your questions, and keep you entertained along the way. Our shows are driven by your feedback. You decide what we talk about and let us do the rest. Here's what we'll be looking at in today's show, show 76. How smart meters will change your home and your bill. Our first test drive of an electric car. Hands-on with a programmable torch. Home security and internet controlled heating. Plus your feedback on Powerline, Freeview and Luxie 208. First off, here's Pete with the latest TV and tech news. Frequency cast, now loading, news. The headlines for June 2012, starting off with UView. The much-delayed internet TV service has finally made a public appearance. A trial of just 350 set-top boxes has begun. The service will miss the planned Olympics launch date, and many think it's already missed the boat. If this limited trial goes well, we understand that UView may be rolled out to a wider audience slowly in the coming weeks. Lord Sugar, please get in touch if you want some beta testers. Staying with Catch Up TV, a new TV channel, 47, launches on the 4th of July. This will offer Catch Up TV shows from Channel 4, with a schedule based on which programmes are being most talked about online. Novel concept or waste of a channel? Let us know. Next, if you missed Gadget Show Live in Birmingham, don't panic because it's coming to London on the 30th of November for three days. See you there? Link on our show notes. In smartphone news, the Samsung Galaxy S3 launched at the end of May with a reported 9 million pre-orders. The gorgeous Android OS phone offers on-screen multitasking, eye movement tracking, a quad-core processor, a better camera than its rivals, a removable battery and a micro SD card slot. On the other side of the smartphone wars, expect an announcement from Apple on June the 11th. Rumours are we'll be hearing about the iPhone 5, an iOS 6 update and Apple's replacement for Google Maps. Next, we're very close to a major sporting event and the Beeb has announced plans for the way we'll be watching and listening. For anyone interested in the games, expect 24 HD video streams, Radio 5 Live Olympics Extra, desktop and smartphone apps, plus digital TV content. There'll be no escape. And a quick hello to our listeners in Kent. We hope the switchover's going well for you. And finally, story of the month for us has to be the stolen streaming smartphone. Whilst on a cruise, Katie McCaffrey had her iPhone pinched. The alleged thief used his new acquisition to take photos of his adventures, unaware that all of his photos were being shared to the phone's owner using iCloud. A smartphone, but not such a smart tea leaf. Thanks, Pete. For more on these stories, visit frequencycast.co.uk slash news. It's focus time, and here's Carl to tell us what we're talking about today. Hi, Pete. Now, hang on, you're not Carl, are you? 
I hope not. Well, Carl can't actually be with us on today's show, so instead we have the rather glamorous Kelly, who you may remember helped us out with our Christmas gadget shopping special last year. Now, Kelly, if I remember right, you fell in love with that rather yummy Marmite chocolate we found you for Christmas. I can't think of anything worse than Marmite chocolate. I'll never, ever forgive you for that. That was not a Christmas treat. Now, don't worry, Carl fans, he will be here later in the show, but Kelly's here with me now to talk about a very exciting topic, which... Which is well from looking at these notes gas bills you don't sound very excited about that who's excited about gas bills yeah fair enough but bear with me because it does get more exciting as you may remember earlier this year we spoke to the guys at british gas about these new smart meters that we'll all be getting soon Oh yeah, you said something about that and they were so impressed, they actually asked you to go and meet them, didn't they, at their um, UK HQ? They did indeed. We had a good look round the various smart homes buildings in Middlesex, including a sneak peek into their rather flashy R&D lab, although sadly no mics or cameras allowed. Now we spoke about smart meters in show 74 and after that piece we had a few questions from listeners about how these meters are going to be installed between now and the end of 2019. Here's British Gas's Tim Jones. That is something that the government has mandated. Um, they've come out all to the energy companies and they said by the end of 2019, um, all our meters in the country, that's gas and electricity, need to be smart. Now, we caught up with uh, your colleague Paul Grosvenor when we were at the Ideal Home Show earlier this year and he gave us a fairly good overview of how these meters are going to work. We did have some listener questions that came in and one of them was, how does this actually get fitted? So at the moment, taking a look at my home, I have a gas meter in the garage and under the stairs I have a, a meter I'm going to have is it right one meter two meters how does it work three meters more no it's going to be you're going to get two meters so it's one smart gas meter and one smart electricity meter and then there's also a little box um, probably the size of maybe um, two cigarette packets or so um, and that's separate um, we call that a communications hub and what that does is it takes the the reads the meter reads from the electricity meter and from the gas meter puts them together and then sends them over to us okay and if i've got this right that means an end to meter reading once a day it sends your combined data over over the air, presumably to some massive computer at British Gas that calculates our uh, our bills. Definitely, and, and it will be a massive computer. Every night, um, we will get meter reads for, for that day. So just like as though a meter reader is turning up every day and taking down um, that number. But it will also give us, and this is if you let us, it has the ability to give us half an hour reads. So that's seeing what your consumption is during the day. So we can see if you use a lot during the day, in the evenings, at night. But what we're going to use with this, we can do some pretty clever data anal- uh, analytics with it. And we can help show you if you've got um, and what the Americans like to call vampire drain, which is where you've got a base load going on at night. So all those all those red lights on your on your TVs and your Xboxes, it's called vampire because it usually happens at night. If that's quite high, we can show you, look, guys, you seem to be using a lot of energy at night that you probably don't need to be doing and then turn around and give you guys some personalised advice. There's a unit that gets installed to the home that's a little wireless device that gives you... Uh, real-time information about both your gas and electricity. Is that right? Yes, that is. We're calling those our smart energy monitors. Um, And that means um, that British Gas get all your energy reads, as I said, every night coming up over over the uh, mobile network. But internally, you get a monitor. Again, it speaks wirelessly, so you can sit it in the kitchen, you can sit it in your living room. And what that will do is show exactly what you're using at that time. So it gives you a kind of energy speedo almost. It's to help put into context what having all your lights on is like or all your appliances on. 
on at the same time. Now we've tried some of these on our shows in the past, these little electrical devices that clamp over your, uh, your incoming main supply. I'm assuming this is a little bit more accurate and gives you some more detailed information? Exactly. The, the principle is the same. Where the smart energy monitor is different is we give you gas as well as electricity. You can't really clamp on your gas. And also these are intimately tied to our billing system. Um, so those ones that clamp on are giving you a rough approximation. This one is actually what is going through your meter. So it's the same numbers that you're on your meter are the same numbers that are going to be on your in-home display. And am I right that the, the unit can also receive messages from British Gas? So if my tariff changes or there's something your computer wants to tell me about I can receive a message on this device. Yes, I think it's a good way of kind of being able to communicate with our customers and giving them vital information. If at any time the, the gas or electricity network goes down, we'll be able to send messages there. We'll be able to send messages, yes, you might have your electricity turned off for a couple of hours for, for maintenance work, but it'll be going up back on again at four o'clock this afternoon. And yes, if there's tariff changes, we can send those to people too. So by 2020, I'll be getting two new meters installed at my home. How much is that going to cost me as a consumer to get these new high-tech meters? As a consumer, it will cost you nothing. Oh, that sounds good. There must be a catch, though. Is it the government subsidising these meters? No, it's the energy companies who are paying for the meters. But our traditional meters have a lifespan anyway, somewhere between 10 to 15 years, and they need to be replaced. So as those ones get too old, we, instead of putting another traditional meter on the wall, we replace it with a smart meter. As well as smart meters, British Gas had a couple of other offerings for us. We spoke to Elvin Nagamutu about these products, a home monitoring package, as well as a collection of white boxes to control our central heating. Remote heating control is the product that you're referring to, uh, the three white boxes. The first one is a hub, uh, which connects to your broadband router. Okay, so you plug this into your router and presumably something talks to it and does something clever. Pretty much in a nutshell, exactly what you said. So there is a web-based interface that allows you to control your heating uh, remotely, either through the internet, through an app, so iOS or Android, and also text messaging as well. So we have the hub, it plugs into your internet connection, and then presumably you have this thermostat on the wall. I'm assuming that replaces your existing thermostat? That's completely correct. This will sit on the wall, it measures the temperature in that space, uh, that communicates to the hub and it also communicates to the other device that you mentioned, which is a receiver. And I'm assuming the wireless receiver, if I've got this right, this is the bit that goes to the boiler that controls the temperature that your boiler's running and the timing of the boiler, is that right? The wireless receiver is actually the only piece that's wired in and it's wired either directly to a combination boiler or to the motorised valves. Okay, now, does this mean I need to get a new boiler? No, you're more than welcome to get a new boiler if you, if you require it and it can be fitted at the same time. Alternatively, there will be the option to have it retrofitted, so it will work with a full range of boilers. The wireless receiver is just a relay that switches the boiler back and on, so it's just an on-off signal. Presumably it has to be professionally installed and, and set up for safety reasons, but this would then mean that you can wirelessly control your heating for the home outside of the house, so over the internet, from your smartphone. And what sort of entry-level price would we be talking about to replace an existing system and get online with this? So the maximum selling price will be 229 and what about the ongoing subscription costs? There are no subscription costs uh, for this product and the app is also free in both Google Play and also the App Store. Oh, I'm impressed. I like things that are subscription free. That's brilliant. OK, if we can now move on to your other range of products that we have here. OK, so you're looking at uh, Safe and Secure. It consists of a, uh, a hub, has GPRS backup and also has battery backup as well. If I've got this right, we have two little boxes here which are presumably PIR sensors, so they're your motion detectors. 
Yes, exactly right. They work in the same way as a standard traditional motion sensor does. Okay, and we've also got a, uh, a door device here. I'm assuming one half of that sticks to the wall next to your door, the other bit on the door, and when the door is opened, the uh, connection's broken. Yes, that's correct. Again, um, works with uh, using a magnet to detect uh, the fact that the, um, the door has been opened and the product will then alert you. And we've got a maid socket. Now, a couple of uses for this. One, you could plug it into a lamp, so you could turn on your lamp automatically to make it look like the house is open. Or presumably, if a burglar breaks in, you can get the kettle on for them. Yeah, exactly that. Um, it gives you the ability to track the energy of any device that's plugged into it. Excellent. And some other gadgets here we've got as well. We've got a natural gas detector, a bit of a heavy beast here. And we've got a uh, carbon monoxide alarm. And uh, what's is that a standard smoke alarm? That's correct, yes. Yeah, smoke detector. Um, again, the, the main key difference is the fact that I suppose that if you're not in the actual property smoke alarm's great when you're there but if you're not you don't know about it this product allows you gives you that ability to know and actually maybe do something about that to mitigate some of the damage and uh, this one here this is an unusual one I don't recognize this one that's a water leak detector so you can position that in a place where there may be a potential of flooding and the other thing we've got here is a fairly chunky key ring now I've looked at home alarm systems before some of them have used uh, the RFID technology where you have to place a tag in front of a sensor I'm assuming uh, this is a bit bigger it's obviously battery powered and presumably you don't need to touch this against something this is a, a wireless key fob is that right yeah, that's correct. It works off Zigbee, um, has a battery inside, and um, what that allows you to do is arm and disarm the system. Um, it also gives you some presence functionality as well, so on your dashboard you'll have a widget um, that will show you how many people are at home at that moment in time. Can you just explain to me what the basic package would give you and uh, what sort of price you'd be looking at for that? For Safe and Secure, you'll have a hub, you'll have two motion sensors, door and window contact. you also get a decoy bell box as well, so which would go on the external of the property. Okay, and what sort of price would we be looking at for the entry-level kit? So it's £199, and that would be for a self-installation, so it's easy enough to actually set this stuff up yourself. As you said, there's no wires, it uses taser strips, so stickies to go onto the wall. Superb, and let's say something does go wrong, what happens? How do you know about it? So the system is configurable, so you can set who the people are that you want to notify. They will either receive a text message or email, depending on what the preference is that you set. There's also, uh, talking about sensors, there are pet-friendly versions of the sensor as well. They have a tolerance up to 18 kilograms, and they work on a mass basis. Elvin from British Gas there, reassuring you, Kelly, that your cat Murphy won't be setting off those alarms. It's not all about gas bills and energy meters, though. British Gas are hot on energy-efficient vehicles. Yes, they are indeed, and their vision of the smart home of the future includes charging points for your electric vehicle. And you got to test drive an energy-efficient car. I did, yes. So jealous. I am inside the... Nissan Leaf. Excellent. And I'm talking to Katie from British Gas. Uh, which department are you in at, at the very large company that is British Gas? I'm in British Gas Smart Homes. You're going to take me for a little drive in this lovely electric vehicle. We're currently stationary, and this is the impressive bit, is actually starting the engine, for want of a better word. Uh, Katie, could you fire it up for me? I can. Okay, so that's it, isn't it? Absolutely. So, complete silence, um, no engine noise in the cabin at all, inside or outside. And, of course, this is fully automatic, so there's no, no gearbox or anything like that. It's just uh, press the button and go. Yeah, absolutely. It's just as you would with a normal automatic, so park, reverse, drive, neutral. Very simple. Brilliant. Okay, let's go for a drive. Whoa, so we're off and running, and that is unusual. It feels a bit like when you start your car without the engine running and just uh, 
lose the handbrake. You're moving forward with absolutely no engine noise. That is a very unusual sensation. Uh, there is a little bit of noise, of course, that's the tyres on the road. That's just normal road noise rather than engine noise. But it is very quiet. It's like a recording studio in here. Uh, Katie, how is it to drive? Very smooth, very responsive, so very small movements on the accelerator and brake. And, and really fun to drive as well. And we've got some nice tech here. I can see uh, to the right of your dash there's a uh, display that uh, says 86 miles, and that presumably is 86 miles left before I need to charge. Yes, it is. So very much like your fuel um, indicator, that's telling me that in 86 miles um, I'll have run out of battery, so plenty of life left to go, and it's very clear as to sort of when it's getting to that point as well and when I need to go back and charge. OK, I'm just going to let you concentrate on your driving while we do this. There's also a very nice display that looks like a... Oh! Oh, little jump there. The brakes are a little bit nippy on this, aren't they? They're a little bit on the sharp side, yeah, I have to say. Terrible. In any electric car I've driven, um, they've been very similar. So when I drove the Mercedes Vito Esau a few months ago, again, very similar, and that's a huge van. Very, very small movements on the brake. But once you've got the hang of it, then it's, you know, it comes very naturally. It actually feels like the opposite of a car. So when you, uh, when you start a car, nothing happens until you put your foot on the accelerator and then there's power. This actually feels like the power's always there and effectively you're holding it back. But uh, yeah, very nice, smooth ride, amazingly quiet. Uh, we're doing, what speed are we doing now? About 20 miles an hour down a fairly residential street. So we're not flooring it, but presumably this can uh, get up to a decent speed. Yeah, absolutely. And it's much quicker off the lights than uh, a normal car, so it's quite pleasing to sort of take some of the uh, the faster-looking cars on the road away at the lights. But absolutely, 70 miles an hour, whatever you want to do on motorway driving, it's not a problem. And uh, looking at the display in front of me, we've got a, a telly uh, in the central dashboard there. That's obviously uh, your, your radio and your sat-nav. You were saying there was an interesting feature about the sat-nav telling you where to charge, is that correct? Yes, um, so for a lot of people who are concerned about um, being left without enough charge to get home, the Nissan Leaf comes with a, a map uh, which shows available charging points near to the vehicle. So if you are panicked, then you can pull over and, and just top up so that you can get home or get to where you need to be. The plan is that most people that go for electric cars will have a home docking station at some point. There'll be potentially work docking stations as well and of course the public ones. Is that about right? Yes, it is. So we think about two thirds of people will charge at home overnight, mostly, with the rest being used at work or, or on street. So we're in the, the Nissan Leaf. This has a sort of a nominal range on a charge of roughly how many miles? So it's about 100 miles. And how long is an average charge to charge from flat for the Nissan? So it depends what you're charging it with. If you're charging it with just a, a circuit and socket at home, a three pin socket, then it's about 10 hours from flat to full. If you're charging off something a bit faster, so say a charging point, then you're looking at a third off that, so about six hours. The public stations, you were telling me earlier the deal for using a public charge point. How much would it cost if I were to need a public charge point? So the government um, initiative called Plugged in Places is a really great deal at the moment. For £10 per year, you're able to charge up at any station within the network that you've chosen. So um, let's take Source London, for example. You can pay £10. You'll then be sent uh, an RFID card or a swipe card, which means you can access any of the units in the Source London area. And it's completely free. Um, you don't have to pay for any of the electricity that you use. Uh, and often there are also some good parking arrangements as well next to those units. So uh, it is a great option if you're out and about. Superb, wonderful. Katie, thank you very much for your time and for the lovely drive. It's the quietest drive I've ever had. You're welcome. Thank you. That sounds like you had a lot of fun. When do I get a go? Are you jealous? Very.
Ah, well, you'll have to console yourself by looking at the website where you can find some photos of the drive. You'll also find some longer versions of the interviews with British Gas on our site at www.frequencycast.co.uk forward slash britishgas.html. Thanks to Katie for the lovely smooth drive and to British Gas for opening their doors to FrequencyCast. Hi, this is Susie Perry and you're listening to FrequencyCast, the UK TV and tech podcast. Moving on, it's time to talk tech about torches. Now, Kelly, are you a torch user? Not really, unless I've got a power cut. Fair enough, but do you carry a small keyring torch around with you? I do have one very small keyring torch that helps me with my car and putting the key in the lock. Okay, I'm going to hand you a torch here. This is a very traditional type of torch. It's a black torch with that name there, which you'd never heard of before today, had you? No, Maglite. Very well-known and respected torches. They're uh, completely black, slightly shiny, and you switch them on by twisting the top. Yep, that's it, you got it. So there's your torch. It looks like a very slick, normal torch. So that is a traditional Maglite, and these are very, very well-known torches. I'm going to give you an alternative to the Maglite, which is this little thing here from Next Torch. OK, doesn't look that much different, slightly smaller. OK, now you switch on with the button at the bottom there. OK. Switched on. What you'll also notice, by the way, this uh, the, the green button at the bottom is fluorescent. So if you're in the darkness, you can actually see the green button, which is quite helpful. Perfect. So side by side, looking at the brightness of these two things without actually burning out your eyes, which of the two is brighter? Certainly the next torch. A lot of people assume the LED torches are going to be quite dim because they're familiar with LED key rings and, and the like. But these are actually very, very high-powered LEDs. Would you agree? I would say it's almost double in brightness in comparison to the Maglite. What you'll also notice, if I could just get you to unscrew the barrel of that one for me. Okay. If I wasn't such a girl, this would be a lot easier. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now, what you have uncovered by rotating that about 15 or 20 times is... A USB port. Yes. This is a torch with a USB port. Why on earth would you need a torch with a USB port? Ah, I'm glad you asked that question. And here is Carl talking to Tim Sparrow from the company behind this, Next Torch. Okay, firstly what we've got is we've got super bright LED torches and what that basically means is they use an LED chip in them, a high quality LED chip, which gives you three benefits. One, it gives you much brighter, much whiter light. Secondly, it gives you much greater energy efficiency, so lower running costs. A third benefit is that the LEDs are virtually unbreakable, so they're guaranteed for 100,000 hours or 11 years versus an old bulb that you might have in a previous brand which is designed to burn out after six hours or the filament will break if you drop it. But tell me the real reason why I should buy your torch, and this is technology. Depending where you're using them, what your preferences are, what your job is or what your hobbies are, you may want different levels of light you may want different types of modes or functions on the torch and our torch can do all of these things as standard but you can also customize the torch or program the torch so what that means is you can decide how the torch is set up exactly how you'd like it to be if you'd have designed it you can decide how many lumens are at each level so exact amounts of light that are enough not too much not too little for you you can add on things like strobe a blinking beacon, a signal beacon, say for instance your car was to break down, you can put on SOS if you want SOS, again depending on people's hobbies. It's called My Torch because you can set it up to be My Torch My Way. That's absolutely brilliant, thanks for that. So presumably you program this from a PC? 
Yep, you program it from a PC. Effectively, it comes with the USB, a mini USB to a normal USB connection. There's free software. It's very, very easy to use. It feels like something you've used before. And effectively, what you can do is three things. You can program the torch and test it while you're doing it to see what 80 lumens looks like. When you're happy with what you've got and you can move it around, change it as many times as you want, you have two options. One to download, which will put those modes on your torch and or one to save as, normal file commands. So for instance, you could have a set of modes and save them as home every day. You could have a set of modes and save them as hobby. To change from one set to another, then once you've done it, you just connect the torch, it picks up the software, you go file, open, hobby, download, and 20 seconds later, those modes are on. To change it back, the same thing in reverse. You were giving me some examples of people like fishermen that will, are gonna want a very low power, close kind of work versus, I don't know, a security guard that's going to want a very bright, long beam. And if you wanted to change it between, I don't know, setting one and setting four, how do you go about doing that? When the modes are already on the torch, you just click through. I mean, it's just a fingertip click at the back of the torch. You can either click on, click off, or actually there's a quick stroll through. And all this for under £25. Impressive. It's actually quite a lot less than torches with similar modes, even without the programmability. So we think so. That's the My Torch from Next Torch. So Kelly, are you sold? I would say it's definitely great for business to business products. Personally though, I'm just going to stick with my little keyring. Well, to be fair, I'm guessing you're not really the target market. If you do go out and about doing weird and wonderful hobbies, or your line of work involves using a torch though, take a look at the Next Torch range. They are rather impressive. And there's a longer version of Carl's interview up on our website with links and pics. And the web address is www.frequencycast.co.uk. Frequency Cast. Now loading. Interaction. It's the part of the show where you get to have your say. Got a question or a comment? Please get in touch. Now, Kelly, who's the first question from today? This is from Peter. He says, I just wondered if you knew what happened to the Radio Luxembourg internet stream, which seems to have disappeared recently. Plus, their website is down, showing closed for update. It brings back such great memories of 208 on the medium wave. And then he's put a little sad face. So I'm guessing 208 metres on the medium wave doesn't mean much to you? No, I'm afraid it means absolutely nothing to me. And the uh, sad face, though? Oh, well, any time somebody sends a message through with a sad face, you have to feel a little bit sorry for them. Oh, bless. Well, Radio Luxembourg started back in 1933 and had plans to broadcast to the UK once again on DAB, or on the DRM radio system. The station was broadcasting online until a couple of months ago, when it fell silent. We're not 100% sure what the future holds for Luxie, but as stated on the Digital Spy Forum, the station does seem to fade in and out, with gaps, so watch this space. Now normally I'm in the studio here with Carl reading out your questions, or I'm out and about on a boat somewhere with Jim, but today, not only do I have the lovely Kelly in the studio with me, I also have the gorgeous Sarah here. Hello Sarah. Hello. I could get used to this company, you know. (laughs) Now do me a favour, dear listener, if you like the idea of a regular girly joining in on the show, please do get in touch. Fill in the little questionnaire up on our site, and perhaps we can make the addition of a lady or two a more regular occurrence. Now, Sarah, read the next question for me. This one's from Doogie. He asks, can you tell me if the latest BT Powerline adapters will work when connected to the Sky Plus HD box to enable Sky Plus Anytime? Good question, Doogie. Well, as far as we know, the answer's yes. We've tested the Sky Anytime Plus service 
over power line adapters with no problems. If you are having problems, check the connection first with a laptop to make sure end-to-end -end is working. And remember you get best results when you plug direct into the mains, not via a surge protector or via a mains extension block. Now, here's a podline call from Matt in Portsmouth. Having an issue with Freeview, uh, ever since the digital switchover, uh, Freeview reception is very, very bad, especially in the mornings. The odd thing is it's working well in my sister's room. We're all on the, uh, we're obviously using the Roridge transmitter. Now, ever since the switchover, it seems to have got very, very bad. We used to get very, very good reception. Please help us. I'm sure we're not the only people that are having this problem. Hi Matt, well Roridge completed the switch on the 18th of April. If you haven't already, you need to do a rescan to get the correct channel lineup. Being so close to France, some viewers in your area can get interference from Cherbourg and apparently changing your aerial polarity can help to reduce co-channel interference. Although, if you have another set fed from the same aerial that seems to be working okay, it probably isn't interference, it could be a loss of signal because of the way you're splitting your aerial. Using a multi-output signal booster where you make the split could make a difference and it's also worth checking your internal wiring and connections. We've got some tips on how to do this on our website. Now Sarah, hobby time. Well, with the sun coming out, it's time to think about geocaching. Hi to Holly, who recently found our trackable in Devon. She's now moving on to Western Supermare. And a reminder that there's more on the high-tech geocaching hobby back in show 67. Also, Keith and Kirby Cross, just a quick reminder that our offer for a free audiobook from Audible is still available. Yes, Keith, and of course our other listeners out there, you can get yourself a free trial of the Audible service and get to keep one of over 60,000 audiobooks. Details at audible.co.uk forward slash frequencycast. Thanks to Kelly and to Sarah. In the next show, we hope to be looking at Bubble Picks, the rather clever 360-degree imaging add-on for smartphones. Also, we're planning to look at this. What, a little black box with two aerial connectors? And very clever it is too. This is the Echo Box, a new system that pumps internet around your home using coax TV aerial sockets. Clever stuff. Also, we're going to be taking our first look at this. Well, that looks like a card that you plug inside your computer. In actual fact, this little circuit board is a computer. It's the Raspberry Pi and we've got one. Our getting started guide is already live and we'll have more in the next show. That's all the questions for this show. If you'd like us to answer your questions on the next show, here's how to get in touch with us. You can leave a voicemail by calling 0208 133 4567. You can email us via our site or get in touch via Facebook or Twitter. If you're listening to us on a smartphone, text us now on 07882 043521. Please do, and hopefully we can feature your comments or questions in the next show, Show 77. Frequency Cast. Shut down in progress. Thanks for listening to today's Frequency Cast. For news updates and to get in touch with us, go to frequencycast.co.uk. While you're there, click the... Add us to iTunes button. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Frequency Cast. Our shows are driven by your feedback, so please get in touch and tell your friends. Frequency Cast.